Hello and welcome to this episode of the coaching podcast from British Canoeing. Hello, good morning, good afternoon and welcome to the British Canoeing coaching podcast from wherever you may be listening to. My name's Ben Woodruff, I'm an e-learning and digital developer at British Canoeing and today we've got something a little bit different for you on the podcast, something sort of really special. We're going to have a recap of the season so far. Um, and, and in that recap, we're going to be looking at some of the incredible discussions that have been had. We're going to be looking at the amazing learning opportunities that have been had and, and reflecting on and prompting reflection on some of the amazing conversations that have taken place on the coaching podcast over the last nine months. Left in this year's British Canoeing Coaching Podcast season, we have another two instalments of the coach interviews, another two instalments of discipline specific coaching and another two instalments of the coaching philosophy chats with Lee Pooley. So we felt it was a really good place to stop, take a breather, have a reflection, and think about everything that's been said, and prepare ourselves for everything that's yet to come on this season's British Canoeing Coaching Podcast. Firstly, I'm going to take you all the way back to episode four of this season. We're going to hear Lee talk to Darren Joy about knowing what to coach and test pieces. This is a really good discussion and it'll be really beneficial for you to listen back to. What would be nice to um, nice to explore now um, is rather than looking back and, you know, please still refer to, to mm. looking back. But what I'd be really keen to explore is, you know, uh, what on earth gets you gets you to a point to know what you are actually going to coach? So what approaches, considerations, or processes, it, it, you know, you don't have to use those particular words and it might feel quite almost a granulator way of doing it, but how on earth do you decide what to focus on? What do you just, how do you decide what you are going to coach? I think that's a great question. It's <laughs> a great question. Um, I've given it some thought and I think I have three, three kind of coaching I don't know, approaches or focuses that, um, you know, really depend on what's in front of me when I'm actually getting to that conclusion. So with my providership roles, you know, it's very much contact, uh, content focused coaching. So there is a product, there's a, there's a syllabus, this is what they get. And, and actually, you know, that drops very much into kind of scripts and patterns that I've seen before. And, and it just becomes not really coaching to me, it actually becomes just delivery. You know, that, that's, that's what it is. And I find from that kind of content-focused uh, coaching or delivery, um, you know, I can, I can deliver all day and then my clients from that really just take away what it is they want from that delivery, from that, from that subject, from that, uh, that syllabus. Um, I think really now, uh, when, if I think about true coaching, uh, I, I think it's now kind of solution-based stuff. That's where I'm kind of going at the moment um where I really get to know people so I think the first thing would be if you know original client comes to me I've got to get as much information out of them as possible you know I can't just suddenly go magic up here is the answer from you know two minutes on a, on a telephone call with them you know that that's just not possible um you know some of the some of the biggest things I do is someone rings up and says I want to be able to do this you know I want to go paddle a, a great free white water river well the, the first thing is is having that kind of profiling conversation with them you know, that's one of the biggest things. Uh, but, you know, I, I really struggle just with the phone call. 
uh, I need to see it. That, that's where I get my triggers from. I need to I need to see stuff. So uh, very much, you know, there's still not much talking in the car park. It's literally get changes, get on the water. Um, you know, I'm you know I'm I'm very very a, a technical observer sort of coach. So I need to see people. I need to see people on there. So uh, very much a test piece. So you know, as an example would be, let's get on the river, and you know, I won't even coach probably for the first. 30 minutes which i think for some people probably unnerves and that uh, you know I've, you know i've paid for this coach to come along and I'm, I'm getting nothing from them but i really need to kind of tune into them uh, and i need to paddle with them that's that's one of the things when i first get my direction so once i've paddled with them for a bit tried a few things out uh, you know we, we would call it test piecing um, to kind of go or oh, try this try that i've kind of kind of settled into it then i start getting my picture you know that's where i that's my process lee you know that's mm. that's where i start getting my my first triggers of what i'm gonna coach mm. is finding out kind of a bit more about who you know that's it's about them lee okay uh, that's that's really you know there's, there's a couple of areas we're going to dig into a little bit mm. more but um you know whilst you were talking there you know you talked about you know gathering information getting a fuller picture and it just reminds me of a, a a book by malcolm gladwell about he talks he talks about thin and thick slicing about making quite judgmental thing judgmental decisions very early on with very little evidence and the importance of actually uh, thick slicing so that just sort of resonated with me there um if possible if possible for for for, for the listeners um can we dig into a bit on test pacing? Um, so, you know, you coach, you coach lots of different, uh, you know, on lots of different crafts in lots of different environments, sorry, in lots of different environments. Um, how do you, how do you decide the test piece? What is the test piece? Um, and what are you looking for? I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> so, you know, very environmental uh, specific, uh, I think is the first thing really, you know, even on flat water. So, a test piece. So a test piece for me would be to find a uh, kind of a, a level, you know, where are they at? Uh, so someone could turn around to me and say, you know, well, okay, I've been paddling grade four for years, you know, well, I've been skiing for 25 years. Well, that just means I've been 25 times. I'm not, still not very good. So, you know, the, the test piece for me when I go skiing is when I first put the skis on and I, and I kind of shuffle towards the, the lift and still feel like it's still my first day skiing. So a test piece for me would be kind of like finding, you know, their, their kind of their comfort point. And that's a big thing for me is finding a comfort point because, you know, when they're comfortable, they, they're not stretched. You know, I'm not going to see kind of breaking points. I'm not going to see weaknesses, you know, if people are comfortable, you know. Um, and, you know, as an example of a test piece for me that I've used recently uh, would be that, um, you know, we can get onto a river. I could paddle down you know, uh, like the River Dart in the southwest for probably for half an hour. And that's the majority of the River Dart, you know, so and I've not seen much, you know, I've seen them do moves that they already do because they know the river inside out. So a test piece for me would be, you know, trying to gather as much information about, you know, their entire performance. Now, if they're just going to perform and do what they normally can do. I can't get any more information from that. So it's got to be a challenging test piece. So something I've done more recently is, um, you know, I'm sure the listeners have come across this before, but uh, just getting someone to paddle back up a rapid. So it's so simple like that can give me huge amounts of information. Uh, and then I would follow them back up that rapid as well. So I can actually then almost mimic and go, well, why did they make that choice? Is that what I would have done? You know, uh, is there a better way of doing this? Uh, from, from behind as well, I can see stroke patterns, uh, fitness levels, uh, changes of speed, 
uh, everything from confidence, you know, attack angles, you know, all the technical stuff. You can see all the tactical things coming up. Are they actually looking at the water? Are they are they just giving it <laughs> from the eddy and just flapping their arms? You know, uh, you can see the psychological stuff coming out. You can see, you know, you know, I can't make it up there. You know, if they're starting to get fatigued, you know, have they got determination to keep themselves going? Um, you know, there's there's so much I can see from those sort of test pieces, uh, opposed to just let's go on and go for a paddle. Uh, that, that, that's where I think I'm at the moment, Lee. Yeah, no, I think, you know, that's just, I think that's really, really helpful. And I imagine there's, you know, um, you know, people listening in going, ah, and thought of that or, okay, some, you know, a bit of background because lots of people talk about test pieces, don't they? But actually what you've done is given some great examples of, you know, paddling up the river and then all of a sudden, just by that exercise of paddling up the river, you're gaining a phenomenal amount of information. Next, I'm going to take you back to episode nine, where Sid talks to Greg Hitchin about his step up to the podium programme and the challenges that he faced around that. And then I suppose I'm making an assumption here that one of the next biggest steps would have been when you joined the team at Lee Valley and were then coaching during the day as opposed to around the day. What I mean by that is <laughs> often with the talent, we're having to fit in around school, college, things like that. Whereas once you're um, on the programme, you're coaching during the day, uh, uh, you know, uh, on a more of a eight till kind of five slot. So was that was that a change as well when you when you came onto the to the programme? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, I guess previously to coming down to Lee Valley, I was the Ents coach uh, based in in home Pierpont. And I'd done that for more or less a full cycle, I think before starting as what at the time was the podium potential lead coach to come down to Lee Valley. And yeah, certainly that one thing that really appealed to me was the, the how to have the opportunity to work with athletes on a full-time basis uh, with, without as many restrictions in that, in that sense, you know, you've got pretty much unprecedented access. You've got a absolutely probably the best facility in the world to operate out of. Uh, and that was, yeah, it was a big, a big change, but uh, one that I was was certainly felt ready for, and uh, and again would would create has created more opportunities in terms of a coach to learn learning how to coach in that environment uh, so what, was definitely the, a change. What's the different challenges of being in in that in that environment than than when you were working uh, in the talent space? So what's the what's the difference? I suppose if. if <clears throat> The talent coach, for instance, was listening to this. What, what, and they were thinking about the change. What is the the key difference you think for being involved in the the full time daytime type of coach? Yeah, probably just a lot more bespoke to the individual. Uh, you're not trying to work with high numbers of athletes that you're trying to you know get through a volume of people to see in a day and cram your sessions in and. Uh, you're able to tailor specific sessions uh, to the athletes, to one or two athletes' individual needs, rather than trying to incorporate, you know, four or five, six, seven athletes into one session where you can't really necessarily work on one specific thing. Whereas here we have the volume of sessions available to us that I can go on, you know, Thursday morning, we want to go and work on this with said athlete and I can go and do that mm -hmm. and, I, and I have less... Uh, things less blockers in the way of being able to go about that it's very much yeah a lot more bespoke in terms of working to a, a paddler's philosophy 
uh, and making it about them rather than making the athlete have to adapt and adjust to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to head back to Pete talking about sea kayaking with Isla Wilkinson. We're going to hear them discuss things along the lines of does she plan or, or does she do things off the cuff? And about saying no to people when the environment might not allow the fact of paddling that day. It's really interesting. Give it a listen. Does that go with your mindset? So some people are, that, that I speak to, like if they can't work to a plan, they really struggle. So how do you, how do you, how do you manage that? Because some people really like a plan. Other people can work just off the cuff and deal with what's in front of them. Is that something that's, that you've learned to do or is that just like a natural thing for you to be able to do that? That's a good question. Um, I think it's possibly been there, but I think as, I, as I've developed, it's become more and more adaptable. Um, as you go through the coaching system, we're taught to create a session plan. We carry out the session plan. And I've learned right from the beginning that you might have a really detailed session plan. Fantastic. But you created that session plan last month. Well, a month, we don't know what the weather's going to be doing or what conditions we've got or where we can actually go or how your students are feeling or what's happening. So then you've got to change it. You can still follow that session plan to a degree, but just adapt it and change it and enhance it and work with what you have. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think I've developed through the changes that's happened with the sea and with, with everything. I think that's development as a coach and individual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's also it's vital, isn't it, to be able to to realise when you need to change plans. I think you could definitely get into a lot of trouble if you didn't have that that real open mindset of I, I need to change something to, to get the best out of the day, but it might equally be for, you know, a safety reason. It might be conditions of change. Maybe someone in your group isn't, isn't performing how they, they thought they would, or you thought they would, and you need to make that, that change. So I think having that real creative sort of way of working and, and spontaneous way of working is really, really important. I think. But it's hard. I think, yeah. So having, that, having that ability and having that confidence to say no as well um a lot of times you know people come expecting to do something and the conditions won't allow it um but they want to do it um and it's having that point of well okay we can go and have a look you know that you're not going to be doing it but we need to go and have a look because otherwise they just think they're getting the short end of the short straw um but yeah having that ability to say no we ain't doing that today yeah, and that, that's, I think that's where you earn your money sometimes, isn't it? As, as, a, as a coach, as a leader, you know, whichever one you want to talk about, it's, that, it's really easy to go, oh, yeah, we'll do it, because that keeps everybody happy, but it's not going to keep everybody happy in the end. <laughs> so, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, countless yeah. times I, dr- I would have driven on the Anglesey to go to a bay to go and do something and then gone, actually, we're not doing that, we're going somewhere else. And, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, I don't know if you know Jules Fincham, he's based up in Scotland. He, he always talks about you have plan A and then you have another plan, but that's also called plan A. And then you have another plan, which is also plan A, because they're all the best thing. You, you, if you can't do the first, the, the plan A, you go do another plan A because it's the next best job. He doesn't call it plan B because he sees that as, oh, it's not as good as what we wanted to do, whereas actually what you're doing is the right thing. And I was like, oh, I get where he's talking about with that. And I think it's really interesting mindset again. Oh, if we, if we can't do plan A, we're going to do a different plan A because that just changes the way we, we think about things. So I like it. It was his triple A plan, he called it. I really like that. And then, do you, do you, oh, uh, sorry. 
but it's also good coaching so what you said about going to the bay and then finding out you can't go paddling there for that ever reason but just that whole experience that's a good coaching tool in its own right as well looking at that maybe going taking 10 minutes out going to walk along the cliffs just have a look to see why we're not going to be using that environment today so it's all part of coaching and adapting what we've got as well yeah absolutely yeah i can think of a few times where i want you know maybe a classic trip like around the stacks and i've got a group looking very disappointed at why we're not doing it and we've been up to south stack and then they've been really pleased we haven't been doing it <laughs> so <laughs> but it's, it's easy to we could just say no and go somewhere else and they don't get that learning experience so i think that's yeah it's a, it's a good call that and do you think so obviously you, you trained as a coach but you're also trained as a leader and do you see those as you're doing one or you're doing the other or do you see them as like a you do one and then the other and then back to back to coaching and back to leadership or do you see it more as a uh, a kind of a blended approach to how you work that's the age-old debate isn't it is as a coach a leader as a leader a coach in my mindset i do believe a leader has to be a good coach i know we're taught through the whole process that you're giving top tips um, but I do think you need to be a coach and as a coach you also need to be a leader I do believe they go they go hand in hand and we've been lucky enough to have other guests come on the podcast throughout the year such as when we had Darren come on to talk about mental well-being we're now going to listen to me chat to him about anxiety around Covid and the return to paddle sport and why as a provider you need to be aware of mental well-being yeah so um just I completely agree with you, Darren. Um, Just a quick one. So my previous question was about, do you feel that as a coach, there's pressure to deal with mental health and its pieces? So the coach may be anxious themselves about returning, Mm -hmm. anxious about all the COVID protocols to to follow and keeping their participants safe and making sure they've got an enjoyable return to, to the water, return to play. How can a coach manage their own anxieties and, and mental health during this transition because it's not only their own that they're looking after it's the participants as well yeah for sure i mean that's a really interesting really interesting question and it's one that as coaches providers guys whatever name we're going to use we sort of run an autopilot a lot when we're running sessions because we just sort of know that this is how it works but now that's not the case And I think for a lot of providers, it's time to sit back again, pause, work out not just what participants require from the session, but what we require from the session. You know, just because there's a guideline that says if you're outdoor space and you're over two metres, you don't need to wear a mask and, and this, that and the other. If you feel comfortable about wearing one, wear one. You know, do what feels right for you but not at the expense of other people feeling uncomfortable. I think it's time that as providers, we sit and we pause and rather than just think about what, like I say, what our participants want out of the session, what do we want out of the session? How will this affect us? What learning outcomes will we have? How will we develop after the session? Perhaps get a friend to check in with you after you've run your session. So, you know, the day before your session, you phone your friend, you say, I'm doing this session, maybe I'm a little uneasy. These are the points that I'm uneasy about. Run your session, check back in with your friend, and maybe another coach, maybe another provider. And then maybe have a debrief about it if you're working uh, independently. If you're working 
uh, with other coaches and providers, check in with yourselves, uh, with each other. Maybe put it in your logbook if, you, if you're working with a logbook about how this feels, how each session differs, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think good coaching practice is to reflect on sessions and, and adding in how you feel is, is definitely a good step forward rather than just thinking how the session went. How, how did you feel delivering the session? Did it feel good? Um, and, and moving forward in that return to the water after COVID is something that's really important for coaches to consider because, I mean, nine times out of 10, you have the best session in the world. You've absolutely loved it. It's been brilliant. But the other one, it feels like the loneliest job in the world when it's you um, and, and the participants. So moving onwards, um, for coaches and providers who don't have much experience with considering mental well-being, how is the best way to educate yourself on the topic and why would you educate yourself on the topic? I love that. Mental well-being. So much better than issues. Yes, 100%. So much, so much better agreed. than issues. Love that, Ben. Yeah, mental well-being. Love it. Love it. Let's take it out of the arena of paddle sport for a second. Yep. Right. And rephrase the question so that it reads, why should... I have experience of mental health and well-being, not as providers. Why should I? Well, actually, it's quite simple. You should, everyone should be aware of their own needs and wants, their own mental health checkup almost, yeah. mental well-being checkup. Everyone should be aware of that. We yeah. know that if we spend every meal of every day in junk food we're going to feel like rubbish we know that we know that if we sit in front of the television drinking coke and drinking beer we're going to feel rubbish we know that you know yeah so i think as coaches and guys we can bring that in what do we already know about what makes us what makes us tick and we, we, we see this this is like pre-COVID stuff, but it is quite relevant. We, we see it a lot with uh, younger participants and uh, especially school groups and young, younger members of clubs where they go on a, a paddling trip for the day, maybe they're excited and giggling and all they've done the night before, maybe it's a, a canoe club a weekend away or an early start and all they've done is eaten Haribo sweets, other sweets obviously available. <laughs> <laughs> and they've, they've eaten sugary sweets, they've had a load of energy drinks, they're knocking back Lucasade tablets like they're going out of fashion. You know, they're listening to loud music, the heart rates are up, and they're going to be on a sugar high. And within an hour, maybe, something like that, they all crash, bang, they're done. They get grumpy, they get tired, and we, we see that quite a lot. We can use that example I've just given into a longer session post-COVID, how people interact when they're, when they're hungry, because they're not going to be necessarily used to putting uh, dietary requirements in place because they're now going out for the first time and participating in their activities. Again, and they've sort of maybe need reminding of you're gonna need to take food and hot drinks, stopping for snacks, as providers, maybe we've forgotten because maybe we're a little bit more athletic and we forget that people do need to stop snacks and sessions. And some people, maybe they're going to start feeling alone and lonely. 
you know, and we need to sort of bring all that back in. So as individuals, we need to be understanding of our sort of mental well-being checks personally. How can we do that? How can we be sort of aware of our mental health and mental well-being? We can do it quite simply by the days that we walk around as in, you know, I, I didn't feel so good today on a, on a simple level. Go back through and, and look at what affected our days. Did we have any triggers that made us feel anxious? Did we personally have triggers that made us feel stressed? Did we have things that made us feel loved and cared for? One of my personal bugbears is when I, in the, in the days when you could share transport, to rivers because obviously that's a, a thing at the moment due to restrictions but you get in somebody else's car and you're running the shuttle and they've got loud drum and bass music on with god knows how many beats per minute it is. you get out of that car personally i get out of that car already anxious my heart's beating away and i'm already anxious when i get out of that car similarly if you're getting changed in car parks because i've got car stereos on and the music, because music plays a massive factor in the way that our environments are set. So as providers, again, how can we look at the environment in which we're leading our sessions and how does this work? But also it's worth everyone, and I'm not just saying to providers and coaches here, you know, and guides and everybody on sessions to look at like uh, courses. There's a lot of resources online, you know, there's, the mind and calm resources. If you're feeling like you do need a lot of support with the mental health issues and your mental mental well-being, please consult the NHS and the doctor. That's really important. There are places that you can get help if you need help. There are places where you can gain the skills and the knowledge to help others. This this is not the conversation to have about how that works because it's going to be individual for everyone. But I urge people to please, 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 if you feel the need, contact your doctor, contact the NHS. If you just want more knowledge, you can get a base knowledge online, you can buy books, you can go on training courses. And this is really important to everyone. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Darren. Um, one, one place I massively recommend is the Open University. They have some amazing free courses online looking at understanding anxiety, panic attacks, depression, PTSD, the whole sort of spectrum of, of people's mental well-being. And it, it's, it's a really good place to start and try and delve deeper into it. And it's, it's quite a taboo subject sometimes. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where we need to become more comfortable as not just providers, leaders, guys, as a nation in opening up and talking about mental well-being and how important it is it's been really good to listen back to these clips and remember sort of the journey we've taken throughout season two of the British Canoeing Coaching Podcast. Now there's plenty more to come. Like I say, there's two more instalments of each of the mini series, plus some extra bonus episodes in there as well with some more guests. We hope you're enjoying it so far. Have a good week, everyone, and watch out for more episodes of the British Canoeing Coaching Podcast.